0: All right. Well, that's a good word. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that very much. You know, uh, our God does save, and that's the only reason why Abraham could show the kind of faith that he did in uh, chapter 22 as we come to that chapter. And so, uh, very well done. Choosing that song it works perfectly with what we're doing today. Uh, so, if we come to Genesis chapter 22. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this and thinking about testing and you know, nobody really likes to be tested that much. It's Not a whole lot of fun in the testing. Uh, you know, I remember being tested in high school, being tested in college, and it was always a dreadful day. Uh, I had a professor in law school who called testing a celebration of learning. <laughs> I thought that was sadistic. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. So uh, that's, that's what testing results. When you're not the one taking the test, when you're the one giving the test, it can be a celebration of learning. When you're taking the test, maybe not so much. Uh, but you know, when, when we want to achieve things in life, when we want to get certain things in life, it's necessary sometimes that we undergo certain tests. Like you can't get a driver's license unless you take a test. You can't get into college unless you take the SAT. Uh, you can't graduate from college unless you pass certain tests. Um, Life is full of tests. Often you can't get a promotion at work until you pass a certain test. So uh, life is full of tests and it's full of of trials that we have to go through. And sometimes we're tested in the spiritual realm as well. The difference though between human testing and spiritual testing, there are quite a few. Uh, When God's doing the testing, we don't often know when we are being tested. We don't even know that we are being tested. We just find ourselves Uh, in the midst of this thing and it looks like a test and and it feels like a test and we might wake up one day and say, I think this might be a test uh, that God is putting me through. And we don't know how long the test is going to last. We don't know how severe the test is going to be. Uh, We don't know the reward that we might get if we pass the test. Whereas, you know, when you take the SAT, if you get a good score, you know you're going to get into college. When God's testing, you don't necessarily know that. And and so that's what Abraham is up against as he comes uh, and finds himself in the midst of this test that he's about to take that that is a God-administered kind of test. And so uh, as we come to this chapter, we're going to see several things. We're going to see, first of all, that there is divine testing. Uh, And as a result of divine testing, we're going to see that Abraham had obedience And we'll see that God approved that, divine approval of Abraham's obedience. And so then Abraham uh, gets his reward. And finally, as a result of that, we'll see that God has divine plans uh, for the next generation. So we'll dive into just verses one and two and we'll look at divine testing. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. All right, so we come to verse one and it says, now God tested Abraham. So we know that this is a test, right? God is coming uh, to test Abraham. And uh, we know that as the audience, Uh, God never intended for Abraham to kill Isaac. But Isaac doesn't know that, right? Only we know that. The narrator has clued us in on that. But Abraham, uh, he's completely in the dark as to what uh, God might have in mind here. And so Abraham hears this voice uh, from the clouds uh, and he says, uh, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Just notice the intimacy of that language and and how the terms get more intimate and more personal as he goes. With with each term, it becomes more personal. but, but God hasn't told him to do anything, right? He just says, take Isaac whom you love and, and, and go to this place called Moriah, to the land that I will show you. And up till this point, Abraham's like, okay, I can do that. No problem, we'll go to the land of Moriah. And so uh, before we look at what God asked him to do, let's just take a look at where Moriah is. Uh, Abraham's living in Beersheba at the time and Mount Moriah is the same place uh, which is called Jerusalem. I'm gonna show you that here. Uh, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 3 verse 1, it says, then Solomon began to build a temple uh, to the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And so Mount Moriah is only mentioned two places in the whole Bible, here in chapter 22 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. And so that's the only way we know that Mount Moriah uh, is in Jerusalem. So we know it's the same place, and we know that a thousand years later, uh, Solomon uh, went and, and built the temple on this site. So, but still, God hasn't asked Abraham to do anything yet. He's just said, Take him, get up, and go to this place that I will show you. Uh, and so now that Abraham knows his destination, uh, he's, going to, uh, he's going to be asked to do a difficult thing. Uh, but let me show you what Mount Moriah looks like. This is where Mount Moriah is now. Uh, the, the Dome of the Rock is built on that. This is the Temple Mount and this whole area was paved, and so it's kind of level, but it used to be mountainous, and right here is something called the Dome of the Spirits. This is the Muslim Dome of the Spirits, and inside this little circle here, that is the floor. That's the original rock of Mount Moriah. It's been paved all around it, as you can see, but this is some of the original rock. So when Abraham walked up to Mount Moriah with uh, Isaac, he may have walked on that very rock, and you can go there today. You can go and see that, that very location. So now that Abraham knows his destination, now God is going to ask the unthinkable. Go there, offer offer him as a burnt offering. That means you're not only gonna kill Isaac, but you're gonna burn him so that there's nothing left of Isaac. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Abraham's blood just running cold? Can you imagine that? Um, just hearing these words from God, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're Abraham. You've waited 25 years for this child to be born. He's the child of the promise. He, he's the child through whom all the descendants of the world are going to come, through whom uh, the world will be blessed. And now God says, "Take your son and sacrifice him." Uh, can, can you just imagine? Uh, how is God going to fulfill the promises that He made to Isaac, or to to uh, the nations, if Isaac is dead? Uh, it's, it's it's you just can't know. I mean, how, how could how could Abraham possibly know? Uh, and so Abraham is in the middle of a test. He doesn't know it, and so I was thinking about why God tests us at all. Why does God test us? I think he tests us to see if we're going to be obedient to him because oftentimes it's difficult to do what God says, and so uh, he tests us to see uh, will we listen, will we trust, will we obey, Sometimes we have things in our lives that, are, that, that, that we love, uh, that would be difficult for us to give up. There are so many things that, that are so important to us. Uh, there are things like our, our money, things like our jobs, our careers, our children, uh, even memories sometimes, even addictions sometimes. Things that we cannot give up. And sometimes God tests us in these things to see if we, if we will trust him, if we will obey him, and if we will give these things up. Some of these things, other than addictions, they're not bad things, right? It's, it's great to love your children. It's, it's great to, to have a nice career. But when we put these things ahead of God, that's when God may test us to see if we re- really love him, if we truly love him, or if this thing uh, has taken precedence over God. And if you have something like that in your life, that's called an idol, uh, and, and sometimes we make idols out of things in our lives, and sometimes God is going to test us uh, and say, I want you to give that up. I want you to lay that down and be sure that I'm number one in your life and not this thing, and so God tests Abraham about this thing that Abraham loves the most, this son Isaac who he waited for for so many years he sent Ishmael away, remember, and now all he's got left is Isaac. Uh, and now he's being asked to, to, to sacrifice this son after he sent the first one away. Uh, so let's, let's see what Abraham does. We'll look at Abraham's obedience as we come to verses 3 through 10. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar, and there arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son." Well, I think it's amazing as we read these verses that, that we, as, uh, if, if, you, if you have kids or even if you don't, you can imagine what's going through Abraham's mind and the obedience that he had to show uh, and just the, the trust in God to do this because we don't have one single thought of Abraham's recorded here, right? No, God, I can't believe you would tell me to do this. God, how can you say this to me? You don't get any of that. You just, Abraham arose early in the morning and he went to do what God said. It's just his obedience that's being recorded. But try to imagine his agony as he's preparing. He arose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He called two of his servants. Uh, he, he split the wood. And then he set forth on this journey uh, uh, three days to get to Mount Moriah. And when they finally arrived, Abraham leaves his men down at the bottom of the hill. He knows what he's going to do and he probably thinks that these servants of his will try to stop him, which is, of course, is a normal response. Uh, So he leaves them down at the bottom of the hill and he says to them, uh, you stay here and we will go up and worship and we will return to you. Was Abraham lying to these guys? I don't think so. I think Abraham knew that somehow, some way, he was going to return with Isaac to him. And so uh, we have this great verse in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about Abraham's faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. So you have Abraham who's going up this mountain step after step, and yet somehow he believes that he and the boy are going to return to him. He didn't know how God would do this, but somehow he knew. He had the belief, he had the faith that somehow God would. So he lays the wood on Isaac. And they start this trek up the mountain. Now, if you've seen movies and shows and pictures about this, Isaac is usually pictured as a little boy, right? He's usually like less than 10 when you see it in pictures and paintings and whatever else. But, but Isaac had to be significantly older than that because Abraham piles the wood on him that was on the donkey and they're going to walk up a mountain. So most scholars think that, that Isaac had to be at least 20. And some Jewish commentators even say that he was in his 30s at this point in time. So he's, he's saddled up with the wood. And he's gonna walk up the hill with Abraham. Uh, remember, Abraham is 100 years older than Isaac at this point. And so he's at least 120 years old. Uh, and he's gonna walk up this hill with, uh, with him, with Isaac, with, while Isaac's carrying the wood. And he's got the fire and he's got the knife. So imagine every agonizing step as they climb up the hill closer and closer to what Abraham knows That he's going to have to do uh, and the agony that that must have been and so isaac at this point notices where's the lamb we don't have a lamb for the sacrifice and so abraham says to isaac god will provide for himself a lamb for the offering and so was abraham lying to isaac i don't think so i think this is an expression of faith that somehow some way or another god is going to do something miraculous so that uh Either Abraham doesn't have to sacrifice Isaac or if he does, somehow God is going to be able to restore him from the dead. And so they reach the top. They get there. Abraham lays down the stone, which is what you do. You make an altar and then you lay the wood on top of the altar, which again is what you do when you're going to offer a burnt offering. This is is how you do it. But now what's missing? The lamb is missing, right? And, And there's no lamb. And so you can imagine Abraham looking around for God to provide this lamb, right? So that he doesn't have to do this thing that he most doesn't want to do. Uh, the two of them walk together, though, and Isaac accompanies him up the hill and gets all the way to this altar. And then, uh, you know, without any break in the action, it says, then Abraham bound Isaac, his son. And, and we're like, what? Like, how could that happen? How is that even possible? Uh, Abraham is 100 years older than his son. If his son is 20 or 30, he could outrun him. He could overpower him. There are a million ways that that Isaac would not have had to submit to this sacrifice. And so what happened between these two? Somehow, there had to have been a conversation, I think. It's not recorded, but can you imagine that there had to have been a conversation where where Abraham, through tears, is saying to uh, uh, Isaac, Isaac, I don't understand what God is doing. Isaac, you are the child of the promise, but God has asked me to do this and I don't know why, but I trust him. And then you have Isaac on the other end of this conversation, through tears. Imagine, uh, he's 20 years old, 30 years old, whatever he is, he's been told his entire life, right, that he is the child of the promise. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And now, he's gonna be sacrificed? Like, how does this make any sense, right? And so, Isaac, And Abraham having this conversation through tears, I think Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound and laid himself down on the altar and volunteered in a way to be sacrificed. And so Isaac submits. And you know, we we often talk about this story. And when we hear this story, we always tell it from the perspective of Abraham's faith, right? And Abraham's faith was great. But if what I'm saying is true, then what about Isaac's faith? How incredible must Isaac's faith have been? Um, to to see what he did to to voluntarily allow himself to be bound and lay down on that altar. So Isaac submits. What will Abraham do? He raises his knife to slay his own son. Can you imagine, Uh, dads, can you imagine raising the knife to slay your own son? Sons, daughters, young people in in this room, can you imagine being the son and submitting to that so that your father uh, is going to stand over you and he's going to hold that knife and you're going to lay there and take it. Can you imagine that kind of faith? I have a hard time with that kind of faith and that's why, uh, you know, sometimes we can focus on some of the stumbles that Abraham had in his life but Abraham was a great, great man of faith and then this is what spir- spiritual maturity does. The longer we walk with God, this is the way we're able to act. Uh, we're able to do things that, that we might not be able to do and and this is the extent of God's expectation of how, to the extent that we will obey him. He wants us to obey him fully in whatever it was that that he would ask. And so Abraham's willing to do this because God made a covenant. Remember in chapter 17, God said, uh, this is my covenant with you and I'm going to walk through these animal pieces and I'm gonna bind myself to this covenant. And somehow Abraham trusted that, even though he didn't know how he could fulfill that covenant. Uh, if if uh, Isaac was dead, uh, they didn't know. Neither Isaac nor Abraham knew how God would fulfill this promise. They only knew that somehow he would fulfill this promise. And so Abraham raises the knife and then God intervenes. So let's read 11 to 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And so this miraculous, wonderful intervention from the angel of the Lord, right? Uh, a pre-incarnate uh, visitation from Jesus Christ. And he says, don't kill him. And this is the second time that that God calls and it's the second time that Abraham says, here I am, right? And, and this is a, this is a, a term of a trust of obedience, of submission, what, whatever it is that you ask me to do, God, here I am, I will do it. And so the angel of the Lord says, don't harm that boy. And I would imagine that the second time that Abraham obeyed was a lot easier than the first, right? Uh, don't harm that boy. Uh, what a relief. Uh, God waited until the last minute and then he intervened. So God was, was he, he waited till the end, but he was not late, right? And, and he never is in our lives when we trust him uh, to do what he will do in our lives. He will intervene uh, when the time is right, uh, and not before. He intervenes when the time is right. And, and, and by waiting as long as he did, Abraham was truly tested, and he got to find out that he had strong faith. So why did God test Abraham? Didn't, didn't God know that Abraham would ultimately submit? Uh, of course he did. He's God, right? God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew that Abraham would ultimately submit. But Abraham didn't know, right? Abraham didn't know. And so sometimes God sends tests, not for his knowledge, right? I mean, God doesn't need any more knowledge. He's got all the knowledge that there is. But we don't. Sometimes we don't know how we will react when God puts us through certain testing. And and so uh, you may have heard it said uh, that uh, when when you face adversity, adversity doesn't build character. Adversity reveals character. And I think the same thing is true of faith, right? Right? Sometimes we are tested to see what kind of faith we have because we don't know how strong our faith is until we actually have it tested. And so he's, he's facing this test uh, and he doesn't know what he will do, but ultimately he finds that he obeys God and, and he finds out that, that he trusts God more than he ever knew. Uh, and he also learned about God's incredible faithfulness that God will provide. And God did provide, didn't he? Look what God does. He provides a ram that that they hadn't seen only seconds before, right? You can imagine Abraham doing a full 360, right? Scoping the horizon as far as he can, looking for any way out of this thing before he picks up the knife, raises the knife. But this time, instead of raising his knife, he raises his eyes. And what does he see? He sees this ram caught in the thicket. God provides this sacrifice and he provides it in place of his son. Did you catch that? That's a substitution. That's Isaac who should have died or could have died, but God provides another way so that Abraham did not have to kill his own son. And so we see this week the Lord providing, he provides a substitute so that Abraham doesn't have to do what what he was instructed to do. And of course, it's very hard to miss the parallels here between what happened between Isaac and Abraham and what happened with Jesus on the cross, right? Uh, Remember that, that... Isaac uh, was under the sentence of death for three days, right? He was, he was told three days ago in Beersheba that he's going to have to be killed three days later in Mount Moriah. Jesus actually was killed and was in the tomb for three days before God received him back. Isaac actually carried the wood up a hill in Jerusalem for his own sacrifice. And Jesus carried a wooden hill up a cross in Jerusalem for his own sacrifice. Isaac actually had the wood on his back. He was laying on the wood, the wood on his back. And Jesus, of course, had the wooden cross on his back as he hung there and died for our sins. So so very hard to miss the, the, the similarities. But the difference, of course, is as far as the east is from the west, right? Isaac did not have to die. But Jesus did have to die. Because there was no one, there was nothing who could take his place. There was no one who could die in the place of Jesus. He came... He lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived a life that we couldn't live so that he could be our perfect substitution. So that when God demanded a sacrifice, Jesus was able to be that sacrifice that God demands. Uh, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? That's the gospel. And, and, And so this story here is just a foreshadowing of the gospel where God could have taken Isaac, but he had to take his own son, Jesus himself. Uh, He offered this son as a perfect substitute. And so when we're tested, think about this, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? God's going to test us, right? There are times in our lives when we're going to be tested because He wants us to see our faith and for our own faith to grow. But we don't need to fear God's tests because he's given his son. If he's given his son, what will he withhold from us? He will not withhold anything from us. And that's the point of this verse. So he may be asking you to lay something down today. He may be asking me to lay something down today. This is a test that we might be going through. But he tests us for our own good. And when he tests us and when we pass that test, we will receive God's approval, and not only God's approval, but we will will receive a reward uh, also. And so let's look at Abraham's reward in verses 15 through 19. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed, as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Well, God reaffirmed the promises that he had made back in chapter 15. Remember those promises? First in chapter 12, then in chapter 15, then in chapter 17. Uh, in chapter uh, 17, he he, he gives them this covenant of circumcision. In chapter 15, he binds himself by the oath. Uh, and here he says, By myself I have sworn. Why does God swear by himself? because there's nothing greater, right? That's what the author of Hebrews says. I mean, what else could God swear by except by himself? And so God swears by himself here. Because you have obeyed me and because you have not withheld your son, I'm going to reaffirm my promise to you that I've made to you several times in the past. But he adds something here that's not uh, in the prior promises. He says that you shall possess the gate of your enemies. And so that's a promise that Abraham ultimately is going to be successful over his enemies and that Abraham will, his descendants will actually possess the land at some point in time. So imagine you're Abraham. Uh, Can you imagine how exhausted you would be after a trial like this, after the emotional toil and testing of what you've just gone through? But here's God intervening in your life, uh, reaffirming this covenant. And so you walk down the hill. Remember you told the guys? I'll be back and I'll be back with my son. I don't know how I'm going to be back, but I'm going to be back. And so he walks down the hill. You can just see him floating on a cloud, right? Full of faith, full of confidence, full of knowing that he has the approval of the Lord and that the Lord is going to, in fact, fulfill these promises to him. I mean, what a glorious day in the life of Abraham, even though when the day started, he thought it was going to be the worst day of his life, right? And God is able to do that in our lives. He can turn it on a dime uh, if we're willing to trust and obey him. And I think that's, uh, one of the great lessons of the chapter. And so uh, God is going to fulfill these promises to Abraham. And, and, and he's even going to, the narrator is going to give us a little bit of a foreshadowing of how he's going to do it in these uh, next four verses, uh, five verses, verses 20 to 24. Uh, this is God's plans for the next generation. Now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham saying, Behold, Milcah has born children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, and Kemuel the father of Aram, and Kesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidthaph, and Bethuel, and Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also bore Teba, and Gama and Tehash, and Makah. I don't know where they get these names from. <laughs> They're tough names. But, you know, this is like a, you know, meanwhile back on the ranch, right? Uh, th- this is, Abraham's lived this long life and, and he's gone through test after test. He's lived a long life of infertility and not being able to have kids. But the narrator's like, remember Abraham left Haran in chapter 12? Remember his brother Nahor back there? Nahor has been busy while Abraham's been going through this time of testing, right? And he's, he's cranking out descendants. And, and one of those descendants is Rebekah. And Rebecca, we will find out in chapter 24, is is going to be Isaac's wife. And and so it's just an incredible thing to to see how God works things out, right? Abraham, he's he's in the business of, of, you know, thinking about how he's going to multiply his own family. And he's come up with all these ways that he's going to do it by himself, right? And that's how we are. When we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in the midst of struggle, We can only see our struggle we get tunnel vision right we can only see ourselves and our problems and we can't see how god is working in other ways to work this out nahor lives 500 miles away back in haran and while abraham's going through all this stuff nahor is is having children and and god knows this god god is is working out his timing in his own way so that he can have abraham can have isaac and he's preparing a wife for isaac back in his homeland but but we don't see this when we're going through our own troubles. All we see is our own, perfect, or our own terrible trouble, but we don't see God's perfect will working itself out until we're on the other side of it, right? And then, and then we, we kind of walk past our problem and then we take a look back on our problem and we're like, oh yeah, I see how God moved this and moved that and did this and did that so that now everything is in place for God to fulfill the blessing that he promised so long ago. And so... I think one of the things that we have to do in our lives is we have to take stock of, of the blessings that we've received and, and think about how the things that we've received are humanly impossible, but God has moved things around and made the impossible possible in our lives. And, and if we do that, you'll find three or four times in your life where you will think about that and, and you will say, God, I don't know how you did that. That's absolutely incredible that you did that. And yet you did that. So uh, Abraham had this same experience in his own life as he goes through this this situation that he was in, and he somebody must have come from from Haran, 500 miles away, and said, uh, "Your your brother your your brother Nahor, he's been quite prolific back in the homeland." And so, uh, and then in just in a couple chapters, Abraham is going to send his messenger back to that homeland to see if there is a wife for his son. So uh, incredible what what God does, and and we'll get to that when we get to chapter 24. But for now, uh, what, what does this mean to us? How does something that happened 4,000 years ago apply to us? Well, the first thing I want to say to us is, is that we ought to expect to be tested, right? We should expect to be tested in life because it's a measure of our faith and it's how God grows our faith. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance... Have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see the promise there, when you will have trials of many kind? It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And if we're ready, uh, if, if, we're allowed, if we allow God to work in our lives, we'll, we'll pass the test of faith. And when we look back on these tests of faith in life, uh, we will see how our faith grew stronger as a result of something incredible that God did in our lives. But it's not just God doing, right? We have to do also. So true faith will show itself by its works. You know the verse in James chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, talking about Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result, faith was per- perfected. So it's easy to say we have faith, right? But, but faith not tested is, is really, it's just a word. Uh, and so the question is, do we really have the kind of faith that we are going to need to take us through the difficult trials of life that we are going to face? Uh, think about Joseph in prison. Think about Moses wandering 40 years in the desert. Think about David running from cave to cave, hiding from murderous Saul who wants to have him killed even think about Jesus walking up the hill carrying his cross. Uh, what do these people have in common? It's obedience to God and faith doing its, working itself out in works uh, by what they've did and what they, what they did. And you know, I, I've talked a lot about what the gospel is here, but, but this is what the gospel does. Do you see that? The, the gospel empowers us. It's not just Jesus rose uh, died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's true, but when we take that and when we appropriate that, there is nothing that we can't do. Uh, this, this gospel empowers us to do things that are beyond what we can do. Uh, and so Abraham was able to offer his son. He was going to kill his son because he trusted God so much. Uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Right all things there's nothing withheld from all things that's everything you can do anything if christ strengthens you and you have that kind of faith and so you could offer up your son knowing that god was going to bring him back somehow uh, you could even lay down your own life for someone else knowing that what's the worst they can do to us they can kill us and we get to go to heaven and be with our lord right so uh, there's 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 nothing bad about it it's it's all about god at that point so Uh, When we face trials and testings of various kinds, the question is not, how can I get out of this? The question is, what can I get out of this? Uh, How can I glorify God through this test? What can I learn that's going to help me be a better disciple, a stronger follower of Christ through this test that I'm going through? Um, These people showed true faith, and Abraham showed true faith by his obedience, by his willingness to submit to God's will, and remember that it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called friend of God. That's a pretty cool title, right? Friend of God, I'd like to be called that. And so Abraham got that title because he was obedient. All right, a third thing. God may ask us to give up the thing we love the most, and that's a hard thing to know that because uh, Abraham loved nothing more than Isaac, but ultimately he found out that he actually did love God more than Isaac, and he was ready to lay Isaac down because God asked him to. And so sometimes it's not a question of the thing that he's asking you to lay down is a bad thing. It's just out of priority in your life. Maybe uh, Isaac had become number one in Abraham's life, and God had become number two, and that's not how God works. God has to be priority number one in our lives. So When we have things in our lives that that have become number one uh, and they've gotten in the way of our relationship with God, sometimes God is gonna ask us to lay that thing down. And sometimes that thing may be the thing that you love more than anything else in your life and the thing that you think you can't do without. But the amazing thing is, is that when God tests you in these things and you rearrange your priority, you make God number one and whatever the thing is number two, God may even let you keep the thing he just wants it to be in the proper order in your life, right? He wants you to put him first and then get to keep the thing that you, didn't, that you thought you couldn't give up but you've just made it number two in your life. Just rearrange the priority. So if God is asking you to lay something down, lay it down. God has to be number one in our lives and he may even let you keep the second thing also as long as it's in proper order in your life. And then finally, I have a bonus application for you that's not in your uh, outline there that I thought of later in the week. But here it is. When we walk with God, we will recognize his voice. Did you notice that God says, Abraham? Abraham knows that it's God, right? How does God, how does God communicate? How does Abraham know that it's God? Well, I think he knows that it's God because he's been walking with God for a really long time. And he's come to recognize what God's voice sounds like. And and he comes to recognize that that, that God speaks to him in a certain way. And I think God does this for us too. When when we uh, are willing to pray, when we're willing to be in our Bibles, when we're willing to fellowship with other Christians, God speaks to us too. And the more we do that, the longer we walk with him, uh, the more we come to recognize his voice as well. And so walk with him and keep walking with him. And the more you do it, the more you will recognize his voice. When we think of God's grace in the life of Abraham uh, and the totality of Abraham's story, uh, this is an absolute milestone in Abraham's life. And it's one of the most important chapters of the Bible because it shows what true faith is and it shows how great God's character is and how wonderful uh, he is. And so... As we focus on Abraham, and as we're, we're coming to the end of the Abraham story, this is really the pinnacle of of what this story has been building to all of these weeks. And you know, the next few weeks we're going to be talking about his uh, the, the death of Sarah and and the the wedding of of Isaac and Rebecca and Abraham's death. But but this is what it's all been building to. This is the walk that God wants us to have with him, the extent of the faithfulness that he requires of us and how he blesses us as a result of the things uh, that that when we obey him, how he blesses us. So let's go from here remembering uh, what God did in the life of Abraham and and how Abraham's faithfulness resulted in this most incredible blessing of, of getting to keep Isaac and just having this wonderful affirmation of the graciousness of God. All right, let's pray. Lord God, what an amazing amazing story. What an amazing God you are. Uh, Lord, we don't understand what we're going through most times when we're going through it, and yet you know, and your timing is perfect. And and Lord, you just you have a plan for our lives, and if we will just simply accept that plan for our lives, we will be blessed more abundantly than we could ever imagine. Lord, help us as we as we think about this story, uh, how we are being tested even now in our own lives and and how we can be obedient to what it is that you ask us and Lord we're not in the business of of trying to count our rewards but Lord we know that that you are a gracious God and that you you credit us with righteousness for for belief and then uh, Lord you're you're just uh, such a gracious God to give us more than we deserve by the things that you give from your hand to us Lord we're just so thankful uh, for your son Uh, he took our sin on himself when he died on that cross that day And Lord, we're so grateful for it because when we appropriate that for ourselves, we have eternal life with you, Lord, and we experience your blessings even this day. We're so thankful and grateful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.